Council poinsettias the budget at a 2.6% increase. In a last-minute under-the-wire vote, Council passed the budget on the last day they had to do so. We'll also talk about some removed playground zones and Iveson's end-of-year wrap-up. Plus, we'll have a special announcement at the end of the episode, so stick around. I'm Troy. I'm Matt. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 19. It's the budget episode, the penultimate episode of this season, and we'll have more on that at the end of the episode when we talk about ourselves. But right now, we're going to talk about the rapid fire. In an 8-5 vote this week, City Council removed the 500-meter minimum separation distance for liquor stores in Ice District. While some opined that this is about Katz's influence in the city, perhaps the most likely explanation is that City Council is simply preparing for the reality that we're living in, where the flames are number one in the Pacific Division. Snoop Dogg will be performing in Canada's marijuana capital on February 20th. Clearly, legalization is already bringing an economic upswing to Edmonton. However, there's also a downside. The pre-sale password for Snoop Show is chill. So with aggressive messaging like that, we undeniably need to give the police additional cannabis enforcement funding. Jordan Walker won the UCP nomination for Sherwood Park, which normally falls outside of the borders of our podcast. But in this case, it's relevant because if Walker gets elected, it will really fall outside our borders. Uh, In lieu of making a joke this week, we'll just read his status update verbatim. This is what 2019 will be like, folks. Quote, For Strathcona County to be free and prosperous, it must have maximum municipal sovereignty. As MLA for Sherwood Park, I will be a champion for a strong and sovereign Strathcona County. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This year, we're going to talk about Let's Do Coffee by the Maji Center at Nate. Each episode features an interview with a student entrepreneur or Nate alumnus. They dive into topics that explore their challenges, questions, and fears involved in operating their companies. Episode four is out now, and it features military veteran and new dad, Cole Rosentretter. You can find that show at nate.ca slash Center. So, Mac, this week, budget happened, and we're going to get to that, probably. Uh, I think we'll cover... I think that's a safe assumption. A little bit of that. But City Council also had a regular City Council meeting and public hearing, and like one of the things we mentioned in the rabbit fire, alcohol separation distances in Ice District is one of the things that they changed. Playground Zones was another one. Yeah, they had... uh a bunch of requests from counselors to make changes to the playground zones. We've talked about this in a previous episode. In fact, I specifically spoke at that meeting and the resolution was, you know, counselors were going to compile a list of playground zones in their wards that were problems, send it to administration, and then they'd work with it. This is that. It's come back. This is the, one of the final pieces of business of 2018, aside from the budget. Uh, and you said there was about 20, right? That yeah, got ab- changed? about 20. If you'll look at any of the coverage for this, you'll not find a list that were removed or a number because media orgs were too busy covering the budget and didn't honestly care about this. If you look at the agenda, there is a list of the bylaw changes that were made, so you can go through and figure it out, but yeah. it'll take a bit of time. Yeah, it's it's a long PDF. But there's about 20 that were removed, and whatever. Most of them are in sort of like industrial areas or large roadways. But if you look at them, there is one specific interesting thing, and I pulled this out and it was a surprise to you too. It was, yeah. Tell me what you found. um, If you look at the list, it's based on counselor requests. Right. Uh, So two counselors really stood out. The Ward 11 counselor, Mike Nickel, made 11 requests for playground zone removals. Uh, The Ward 3 counselor, John D for Ward 3, 
friend of the podcast, he also made 11. Second place was five requests from the Ward 5 counselor, Sarah Hamilton, and most of the others had just like one or two. So they had twice as many as the second highest, and she had twice as many as everyone else. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this in budget, but there were also two counselors that voted against the operating budget. And go figure, it's Mike Nickel and John D. If you're not noticing a pattern, you haven't been listening to the podcast enough. But what we're seeing right here is the act of politicization of traffic safety, because you have these two, the most conservative counselors on council, and suddenly they're making a heyday of removing our traffic safety measures in their wards and making sure they're gone from their wards only and not the rest of the city. That's a problem because we have Vision Zero as our traffic safety strategy, and if we have wards that just elect conservative counselors don't have the same traffic safety measures now you have to plot your route based on the political ward you're driving through or biking through that's a dangerous precedent i agree with you it's kind of crazy but isn't it also crazy that we let counselors request specific playground zones to remove yeah i i suppose the alternative uh is that we don't have any playground zones in edmonton altogether because when administration put together the package some of the playground zones they were suggesting removing were one of them was in Strathcona, where the road is supposed to be designed for 30 kilometers an hour. And they were suggesting bumping it up to 50. So I don't have confidence that anyone in the management <laughs> of our city can reasonably get this done. So maybe this is the best we're going to get. Let's talk about the other thing that got done this week. And this this is the big thing. And... I'll tell you a brief story. So I've been renovating my kitchen. So I wasn't paying a lot of attention this week. I tried. Honest. I tried. I tried to put on the city council live stream while I was assembling some Ikea cabinets. But I just got so frustrated and mad, partly because of the Ikea drawings. But just hearing the counselors saying some of the things they're saying, I damaged one of the walls of my cabinets by screwing too hard. And I'm like, I'm done turning it off. I'll let Mac fill me in. So Mac... Fill me in. I was at council a lot this week uh, following the budget. So the, the headline that you've probably heard about is they uh, decided on a 2.6% tax increase. And what they did is they smoothed out the tax increases that administration had originally proposed. So it's 2.6 per year for the next four years. That's about $65 for the average home. It actually, if you do the math, works out to be a little bit higher even though it's smoothed out than what administration originally proposed, 10.4% uh, instead of 10%, which predictably made Prosperity Edmonton and uh, those folks, Austerity Edmonton and those folks, very unhappy. It was interesting also, you're talking about smoothing the curve. The language that Iveson was using was bending the curve, which you'll notice is the exact same language that the provincial government uses when they're talking about bending their curve to make the deficits more palatable. What he said during the council meeting was that there's pros and cons to a multi-year budget. Uh, he said what we're doing here is taking what is otherwise a lumpy set of budget impacts and reducing the impact to the taxpayer over time by flattening that out. The other negative of this multi-year budgeting process, and we saw it sort of in some of the things that got approved or not approved, because there was a very specific word that council kept using, and you mentioned earlier, and it was abeyance. Right. Why did council keep saying the word abeyance? So I just had to look this up to make sure I was understanding what they were meaning. But basically what they did as part of this budget discussion was say, we're going to approve this technically. It's in the budget, but we're going to withhold the funds until we get some information back. So in some cases, they asked for a report, like in the, the case of cannabis legalization, they wanted to have actual costs on cannabis uh, related to some of that money. They've tried to set themselves up to be able to lower the tax increase further when we get to the spring and fall uh, budget adjustments. So fundamentally, we've spent, and 
some of the councillors and the mayor have lamented this. We've spent a lot of time on this budget debating. The debate's not over. We're going to have another budget debate at the spring supplementary capital and operating budget adjustments. And it's just a lot of these items that were hard debates are just going to come back again. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, we do this all the time, right? Even in the last multi-year budget, we have the annual updates. There's the spring and fall adjustments. And it is an opportunity for council to debate those things in a little bit more detail. Uh, In this case in particular, you know, you had all of this push for a 0% tax increase. um, And you ended up with a city council that voted 11 to 2, as you said, on the operating budget to go ahead with a actually larger increase than administration originally proposed. So that's really interesting. And I think what they were trying to do to some extent was say, you know, we're not done here. We, we want to move things forward, but we're going to give ourselves some opportunities to try to lower this further in the months ahead. And speaking of the zero percent, you had Iveson come out and he gave quite a good quote this week, which right. he said zero was never realistic, quite frankly, he said right. that point blank. The other side, and I say the other side because he's going to run for mayor and be the other side, was good old councillor Mike Nickel, who he came swinging in the media after this budget. His quote was, at this juncture, I certainly think that zero was achievable. I think that with better political management and better administrative management, we could have been there. So this is really interesting to me for two reasons. Number one, if you think about the 2.6% and you look at what that actually breaks down to, only 0.5 is for general new money. The other parts of that increase are dedicated for Valley Line LRT, Alley Renewal, and Police. Lots of people seem to be very supportive of giving the police more money. So I don't know how we were ever going to get to 0%. 0.5 is pretty close to zero for general new funding. The other thing that was interesting about Nichols' comments to me in the media is that he chose not to speak at the budget meeting in the final round of comments. So all the other councillors with the exception of good old John D from Ward 3, which we'll get to, used their opportunity to say thank you to their colleagues, to administration, to talk about why they supported the budget, to talk about something that they learned or that they thought was a highlight. Councillor Nichols chose not to say anything until he spoke to the media. That's that is interesting. What are your thoughts on that? I'm usually the one throwing out the political slime balls. Mac, what did you make of that? Maybe he felt like he's already done what he could to try to lower the budget, right? I mean, he I've given him props on this podcast before for being the one who asks tough questions of administration and tries to push things forward. I, I think that's a really good role that he does bring to council. But it was odd to me that he didn't say anything in that meeting. It was a, a real opportunity to, you know, maybe make a bit of a stand around his position. On the other hand, I mean, it was a long four weeks or five weeks of intense debate. Maybe he didn't want to wreck the mood as didn't seem to phase John D from Ward 3, but, you know, he chose not to say anything in that meeting. The other thing that, that Don said, the mayor said, in in, uh, in relation to these We're comments... We're on first name <laughs> basis with the mayor here. <laughs> yeah, come on. Um, he, you know, he said, he had a great quote during the meeting. He said, the city was falling apart 10 years ago. And he talked about being able to bring the tax increase down to the realm of inflation without shortchanging our future, without cutting back irresponsibly on maintaining our infrastructure. So his whole sort of rationale around why we would never have gotten to 0% is because when we did that in the mid-90s, we followed that up with very large tax increases to pay for all the infrastructure that we didn't maintain during that period of time. Yeah, so it's very interesting that we're seeing these two sides of the same coin. There's the Iveson and there's the nickel. And I'm calling it now, it's a planned mayoral run. And I can say that with confidence because I've done a lot of opposition research on Mike Nickel, having run against him. (laughs) So I've 
if he has made a media interview, I've probably watched it at some point in my life. The interesting thing about Nickel is he initially lost to Iveson as a counselor when right. there was dual wards, and then he took four years off, did some other stuff. When he came back, his quote was that he was a changed man. Before, he was known as the one who voted against the budget. Right. He always voted against just, the budget. Just to vote against it. Just to Matter vote against it. But now he's changed, he's more collaborative, and he's ready to work with his council colleagues. And this was his life as a counselor, and he got reelected as a counselor. Now, at this budget, after he tried to quit his job and become a UCP MLA, and he's stuck back here, he doesn't speak and votes against the budget. So we're seeing the return of good old Mike, who's run for mayor twice before. I think we're seeing him fall into old habits and prepare for the inevitable mayoral run. Speaking of voting against, he was uh, also the only counselor who voted against the capital budget. So this was also very interesting in the meeting. When we finally got down to the end of it, they had a big, I think it was 19 or 20 part motion that had all the different operating budget, capital budget, all the different budgets, the, the CRL budgets, all that kind of stuff in this motion. And counselors were speaking to it. And when it got to John Zadick's uh, turn, he started off by saying, I'd like to request that we split the budget capital and operating for voting purposes. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room, like people's eyes were rolling. It was just, it was very bizarre because all the other counselors were like, oh, thank you to the mayor. You know, your navigational skills here were really important administration. You did so much work. I'm really looking forward to a break, yada, yada. And then John D comes out with, I'd like to split this for voting purposes. And, and the mayor was like, okay, noted. anyway they did obviously in the end vote uh, split it for voting purposes and mike nickel voted against the capital budget as well it's interesting that is interesting so all right let's take a step back and let's look at some of the highlights of the budget yeah so like you mentioned things in the budget we've got 0.3 percent for alley renewal we're going to repave all the alleys one of the things iveson said is well it's not actually a 2.6 percent increase it's 2.3 and 0.3 0.3 for lanes. Right. Uh, so you have all this sort of political maneuvering around, but we've also got in that our capital budget for Valley Line, for the Yellowhead Trail, and Twilliger Drive. Which they took on $112 million in debt for. So that has impacts on obviously capital, but also operating because our, our debt servicing is affected whenever we take on an amount of debt like that. That was an interesting wall they hit in this budget discussion was there was a point where Councillor Walters asked the question and he's like, if we approve everything we want to approve, will future councils have any choices to make at all? And administration's response was, well, essentially no. If you approve everything that you've outlined in all these amendments and propositions, we'll be at our debt limit and councils will just have to do your bidding for the next 12 or 16 years. The originally proposed capital budget was, I think, 4.3 billion. They ended up approving 4.8. Um, And on the subject of debt, after the meeting, uh, speaking to the media, the mayor said that we are very responsible debt managers and we're taking advantage of low interest rates uh, or interest rates while they're low. So he wasn't worried about taking on all of this debt to fund what he called key infrastructure. One of the things that got sort of funded in this budget, at least moving forward, is the uh, new Lewis Farms Rec Center, which we talked about a lot, especially in our Twilliger Drive episode. Mm -hmm. But that's one of those big attractions that came up in budget. And the mayor didn't make very many friends in the region uh, over the past couple of weeks. He had one of the proposals to basically say, if you're in the region, 
you should pitch in for some of the city of Edmonton attractions, like, you know, the zoo or Fort Edmonton Park or Telus World of Science, these sorts of things, or a Lewis Farms Rec Center. Right. Yeah. One of the things I was at on Thursday with the mayor was the Edmonton uh, Metropolitan Region Board's 10 year anniversary. And so you had a meeting of, of all the members of the board, and then you had this public event with, uh, with all these supporters of the region talking. And it was really interesting because the message from that event and from people that are involved in the region is that we're moving toward this shared investment for for shared benefit approach. You know, everyone's talking about we should be having at least some of the money that everybody generates go into a general pot that goes to the region. So if you build a new neighborhood in Beaumont or something, some of that money will go to the region and could be spent somewhere else. So they're already kind of talking about this, which is why the sort of, you know, fear over the mayor's comments was a bit strange to me because that is kind of what the folks in the region board have agreed is the direction we're heading in. Sounds a lot to me like annexation light. Well, they talk about this potentially removing the need for annexation because why annex that land and have it be in your jurisdiction if you can get some of the money anyway. Interesting regional news that I thought I'd point out because you, it surprised you, it surprised me as well. Uh, apparently this news has been out for a while, but Beaumont is becoming a city. Yeah. Uh, it's got about 20,000 people. It's currently a town um, and it's January next year. That January, it'll, yeah. It'll become a city. Uh, Sherwood Park, still a hamlet. <laughs> Maybe a sovereign hamlet, but still a hamlet. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit. So we had the budget process. And for those who are sick of hearing about the budget, don't worry, your council is too. Uh, the process of the budget is essentially administration proposes a budget document that has, here's all the things we think you should fund. Right. Counselors get up and they throw a big pile of amendments and pet projects on. And there's obviously not enough money to do all of that. So those pet projects and amendments, they're all put in a random order. And then council debates in sequence. Well, this year they were put in a random order. In the past, they've been put in a sort of first come, first serve basis. The sure. order that they were received in. Okay, yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> this year they were put in a random order and essentially council went down and they approved or rejected or amended each individual thing until they ran out of money. And then just things at the bottom, which in this case, things like affordable housing ended up near the bottom, just might not get funded if you fund other pet projects. There were some negative thoughts about the budget process that I think you heard from councillors and the mayor. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I think there was a couple of issues with the way they approached the budget. So that's one of them, as you say. The other is kind of related to that is throughout the year, council basically kicked a bunch of stuff to the budget meeting and said, we'll deal with this when it gets to budget. So they had this huge list that they could have pared down before we got to that point. Um, and then the the thing that uh, Councillor Walters and, and a number of the other councillors mentioned um, was this distinction between the sort of competing direction that administration had, right? On the one hand, like fund our priorities. These are our priorities. And on the other hand, save us money. Make sure we can keep the tax increase low. Um, and Michael Walters in particular felt that, you know, the priorities that were reflected in the original budget proposal weren't the priorities that he felt council had highlighted to administration. And so he was worried about some big disconnect uh, between those things. He spoke at the the final uh, vote about how he was pleased that a number of those priorities actually did ultimately make it into the budget through their discussions. He highlighted affordable housing uh, in, in particular. Um, but that was definitely a, a common thread through a bunch of the comments was that, you know, priorities, maybe instead of doing a random order of these things, we should do it based on whatever council has prioritized. So one of the final motions they made on Friday was to ask administration to 
or the clerks, I guess, in this case, to survey all of the councillors, figure out what worked and what didn't work about the process and bring a report back to council services committee. So before they forget about how the process went, they can have a discussion about how to make it better for the next time. So speaking of the next time and making things better for the future, Iveson had a end of the year roundtable and wrap up and video stream and you were there and what happened? What did he say? He had a lot of really interesting things to, to say, actually. Um, one thing I'll start with just to tie back into the previous item was about transit. So he did talk a little bit in his end of year wrap up about how perhaps transit is under resourced, which I thought was an interesting comment. He talked about the transit fare increases and what council ultimately decided was that it'll increase to $3.50 in 2019. And then they've put a hold on any further increases. So it was supposed to go up by a quarter a year over the next four years. And that's partly because they heard loud and clear from people that, hey, this is ridiculous. We're not getting the service that we need for how much we're spending. Um, and also because smart fares are coming and, and he doesn't think we'll ever actually get to a $4 cash fare because of the ability of smart fare to do adjustable pricing and things like that. Yeah, well, we very well might well have a $9 fare from Capilano right. to one place, but the general fare will never reach the four bucks. Right. So uh, he talked about a lot of interesting things. One of the questions that came up from the media, surprise, surprise, was what do you think about the media and journalism? Uh, and he liked to uh, to talk about that. He uh, has a history in the university press, of course. Um, you know, he said that he expects that uh, citizens expect to have a, a certain amount of information come direct from their city uh, of organization, their municipal government, but he doesn't see it as a substitute for journalism and, and for that. And he, he does see opening multiple channels he talked about. He does see transparency as something that's really important. So I think he tried to put the journalists' fears uh, uh, aside a little bit there and, and put them at ease a little bit and talked about the importance of, of journalists. Uh, one of the things he talked about was what he called a culture of confidence, which I thought was really interesting. So there were some questions around you know, cost savings and what happened in the summer when he got really upset with the bench plaques and things we've talked about on the show. Um, and he talked a bit about this idea that he wants administration to have a culture of confidence. So it's not that, you know, the person who's running the bench plaque program should be tasked with trying to save money so that our tax increase isn't so high. But if they have an idea that could be brought forward, he wants them to have the confidence to be able to bring it forward to a superior to have that idea be considered rationally and not have this fear that, you know, something bad will happen to them as a result of bringing forward an idea. So he talked about that in response to the program and service review and some questions around, you know, how effective we've been at, at cutting costs. He did provide a highlight number of $68 million in harvested savings over the last five years related to innovative ideas and things like that. Uh, we know $27 million was from the program and service review, most of it this year, which we've talked about before. Yeah. And I, probably not helping with that culture of confidence. Uh, when administration or council does anything in the week, I just go on my Friday night podcast and roast them. Uh, <laughs> probably not helping, but you know what? It, it's, it's fine. They'll manage for sure. A couple other things. A question about staffing levels. This has been in the news a bit because of the budget increase, of course, right? And Austerity Edmonton suggesting that maybe we have too many staff. All right. I want to put a pin in that because we called them Austerity Edmonton. Budget is over. We'll loop back to this, but I think it's time to talk about austerity and thrive because those were the two sort of conflicting narratives. And I think it is important now that budget is over and I don't have a horse in the game anymore <laughs> to talk about how garbage both perspectives were. Basically, we had 
Austerity Edmonton with this unreasonable proposal that zero percent, zero percent, and this is, we're never going to get there. You had this hard line like business community and pressers, and there's money and lobbyists put behind it, and then you had the other side with Thrive Yeg, where it was essentially Julie, one person right. putting together and collecting stories from Edmontonians. When I went on Thrive early on, and like I would never say this when it's going because I believe in Thrive's message, but I could identify personally every single person that submitted to Thrive Yeg, and then those people showed up in 170s to speak to council. Right. And you mentioned earlier that Iveson had mentioned that speaking had changed his mind. Yeah, in his wrap-up comments uh, on the budget, he he talked about... You know, he, he shared the frustration of a lot of his colleagues on council that the competing priorities and it took a lot of time and all of that. But, you know, he, he said, I was amazed by the speakers. It made a difference. It had an impact on my thinking. That is bull. I won't say the bad word because this is a family friendly podcast, but Edmonton has a population of nearly a million people and 200 people show up to councils and waste 24 sitting hours of everyone's live and that changes the perspective of council? What about all the emails? What about all the tweets? What about everything else? I've talked to councillors. They receive hundreds of emails a week about competing priorities. It's news to council that there's competing priorities. This is why you should not be allowed to speak to council because councillors are clearly not able to differentiate between opinions of the masses and that dude who's looking you in the eye and like oh i gotta listen to that guy because he registered to speak for five minutes well i told you in the pre-show that when he made that comment the first thought i had was oh troy is gonna love this uh but the problem is it's not that guy it's the nine-year-old girl making the case when she should be in school that really has an impact right that's what you're competing with yeah you're competing with Citizens using their children as props <laughs> because they know it makes a political difference. We are putting our Edmontonian kids for a dog and pony show to just show up at council meetings and speak. And I am mad about it. And I am mad that the mayor thinks it matters. Let's move on to the next item. <laughs> okay, just very quickly on the staffing levels, which is where we started there. Uh, it was one of the few questions that he didn't seem to have a well-rehearsed answer to, I thought. Like he hadn't really been talking about it much. Um, but he, he basically called it a continuing conversation, said it's a fair question. There's a broader question about the ratios of, of FTEs, full-time equivalents to population. Does Edmonton have too many employees? I think alongside that, we need to look at that $600 million we spent on consultants. You know, that's something that council, I think, will be digging into quite a bit next year. And then he had a couple of very interesting comments on both a potential third term and some of his thoughts on other councillors. Well, I want to take some ownership for the third term comments because... Troy Troy starts rumors on the podcast. Um and one of the rumors Troy has been really hammering home on the podcast in the past was that Iveson is running for the federal liberals in Edmonton Strathcona in the next federal election. And he point blank denied that in the media. He said, I have no ambitions for federal politics. Uh, whether you believe skeevy politicians, yeah, I I, I believe him <laughs> in this case. So maybe Troy was wrong about that assessment. Troy might have also been wrong about saying that Aaron Paquette is jockeying for a mayoral position because Aaron Paquette pulled Troy aside last week and said, Troy, I'm really not running for mayor. Please stop saying that. So New Year's resolution, maybe Troy won't feed the rumor mill as much. But that said, it was really interesting Iveson talking about the potential third term because I got the impression he basically said, there's still a lot of work to do. I'm really happy. I'm 
staying on as the big city mayor's yep. caucus, which yep. is my link to federal politics. But it sounded like he was gaming up to run for a third and fourth and infinite amount of terms. I don't know if you got the same sense. Well, I mean, he said, I've got more work to do here. He talked about the city plan going to be a lot of fun was his direct quote. Uh, so that's interesting. He talked about representing Edmonton through the, the next provincial and federal elections and how that's an important role that he can play. Um, but he said, I see lots of work to do and we've got a great team here at the city. He, he talked about, you know, having exciting stuff to do. So why would I leave? And he kind of indicated that if he could think of enough things to work on, he would consider a third term. The thing that would definitely encourage him to run for a third term is Mike Nickel announcing that he was running for mayor. I think there's enough animosity between those two that it could be quite an interesting mayoral race. You never know. The other thing he said was really interesting and sort of related to running for mayor and and, uh, and some of the other councillors. He didn't talk about anyone specifically, but you can read between the lines. Oh, I do. Um, there was one of the things that happened during this budget was a lot of of the other councillors put forward motions to try to get their pet projects, as you say, you know, pushed up higher in the priority list and (coughs) free transit. And the mayor talked to the media at one point and said he tried to rein it in. Right. And interestingly, he told us that he had been talking to former mayor, Stephen Mandel the other day about this. And Iveson was kind of talking about, you know, how it was a little frustrating. You know, you recognize that each of the counselors has their own political aspirations. And then he realized that he probably did the same thing seven years ago. And he thought about it and he said, yeah, I totally did. So he ended up having, you know, some respect for the other counselors that, you know, they were willing to put things forward to have ambition. You know, he said, we have maybe more of that initiative on this council than we have on, on previous councils. He called them a very bright group of counselors who have a desire to serve and to have their service noticed. Um, but it was kind of an interesting moment of self-reflection uh, from the mayor. And we notice you, counselors. We we notice you every week. But that's close to the amount of time we have. It was a busy week. Like I said, this is the penultimate episode. We'll have more information about that. But we're sandwiching an ad between so that you're forced to listen to it. You're going to hear all about the ECF, or the Edmonton Community Foundation, which hosts the Well Endowed Podcast. Uh, It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, and it's produced by Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. And episode 35 features guest Nicole Smith to talk about the Sage Seniors Association and some of the challenges that senior women in Edmonton are facing. Uh, So you can read the show notes and subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com or wherever podcasts are sold. So we're going to take a break now because it's Christmas. So Taproot's Roundups are going to be on on break for a couple of weeks and the podcast will be on break for a couple of weeks. But next week. Oh, next week's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So for those that know me personally, I am a huge Jeopardy fan. Uh, So we're doing Edmonton Jeopardy next week on the podcast. I've written most of the questions. Uh, There's a lot of puns and wordplay, so that'll be a lot of fun. But our guests, we're going to be, Mac's going to be there. (laughs) But we also have Chris Chang-Yen Phillips, who's the host of Let's Find Out podcast and the former historian laureate. And Elise Stolte, our favorite columnist from the Edmonton Journal, she'll be joining us to play some Edmonton Jeopardy. It's going to be some tough competition. So that'll be out on the podcast feed next Friday. So tune in and subscribe wherever podcasts are sold. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. I think that's all of them. Just subscribe. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.